Chase went to do crickets a minute ago. He did breaking news. <laughs> oh, that was funny too. <laughs> it was. Chase said, Here's what I think about that. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that made it more funny. That made it more funny, yeah. Oh, that was funny. I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. Jace is trying to find a silver Sharpie. Well, with fun comes responsibility, and we have two buttons, and during a commercial, I tried to make the cricket sound. Uh But what I actually pushed was the breaking news sound. (laughs) Gotta hit it twice. So now, with the aid of... So he, he ramped it up in the, in one of our commercials to the cricket sound, and then he had breaking news, which is very confusing to us on set. So, so what yeah, we're we going to have to do... A, quite a few buttons. But one <laughs> of them was engineered just to make fun of me, so I'm glad we have another one now. <laughs> so we're going to get a black Sharpie and put it on the red breaking news. We're going to put B right for breaking news. So And on the crickets, we will put a C. Yeah. And so one day, maybe we'll have the entire alphabet of sound effects. Well, you know what's next? Eventually, Zach, we got to have a, like a, you know, on the uh, Scott Van Pelt and those guys, they have like a little computer or that has all yeah. sorts of sounds. So I guess that's where we're heading yeah. on the Unashamed Podcast. So I will say for the, our keen eye observers, they've already noticed it, but our award from K-Love for, for your award uh, for the podcast of the year for 2023 is now has its permanent place on our shelf of uh, books and whatnots. And so yeah. there it is. Which shows you that if you, you work hard and, and people are committed and believe in what you do, which is in this case, the word of God, it is being shouted to the masses and you wait nine months, you can get an award <laughs> and, and feel good about that. You can, you can win it, but it takes a while to it's get. It's kind that. of like a new birth. It, takes it a is. While. It, well, it, it is. And I have it for you a got, while. Well, you got the news, yeah. And then nine months later, you got the trophy. It's just to make sure we're humble, and uh, which which we. I are. never. I didn't really anticipate even getting a trophy. I thought once they gave it to you and took it back, that, that was just oh, it's just, it's a you know dog and pony <laughs> show. So they reached so, out. To you me, know you was. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, you know that's all that matters. They yeah. reached out and said, "We got it. We got the trophy. Uh, where do you want to ship it to?" And I, my question was, "Is it is it real gold or not? Because that will determine whether it winds up here or with you guys." So mm. you guys got it. So I'll let you determine if the if well. The obviously, they gold. had to put our name and stuff on it because the one that you get in the thing, everybody gets the same one, and so that's true. Yeah. It, it just is very generic. But I kind of knew that because Sadie's people had already told me that it took months for her to get hers because she won 2022. She won the year before us. So, uh, well, which, I, by the way, is is the duck call room going to win this year? Are they going to keep our streak alive? Because I'm I mean, not sure they're going to win Impact <laughs> Podcast of the Year unless it's some kind of heart related. <laughs> Physical or, or pump. bowel obstruction, maybe. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they're... somebody somebody needs to to nominate them um, because the the award I think has only been around two years. Oh, really? Was it Sadie win the yeah, first so, one? 
Yeah, we won the second. So that so the the family right now is one hundred. We have won one hundred percent of all. Well, do they have a awards. do they have a bizarre category? <laughs> the most bizarre podcast of the year. Well, all you got to yeah. say, maybe, like you said, is impact impaction versus impactful, and then <laughs> I just did one of their podcasts, and I thought, whoa. <laughs> What'd I've been asked that, to do one uh, this uh, coming up soon, so I'll it be was back as about as I mean. Look, here's you have Sai, who's in his mid seventies. Not that that's that's just a number, but uh, you have him leading a discussion. What's the worst thing that could happen? How could it go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? But Sai, one thing about Sai, I will say, because I told y'all this about podcasts, because I remember Willie and Corey had a podcast back when the show was on. Um, Jeff and Jessica had one when the show was on. Of, of all people, Mountain Man, his is kind of more of a radio show, but it's... but it's Well, a, his was for the slow listening. It was, for the slow I listening. I like the music, the old country music. You had the slow, easy listening. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, his book was Life in the Slow Lane, so... Mm. So, uh, but what I noticed about him when I appeared on their podcast is I thought this is not going to last because if, if your podcast is only about what's happening in your life this week or some of your old stories and look, we got a lot of stories. I've been on record saying Jace is never going to run stories, but I thought if you, if you just did a podcast on that after a while, you'd probably just. The audience or you would get tired of doing it, which is what happened to the other podcast. That's why we wanted to do, do the Bible is because we're never going to run out of soap with the Bible. Never well, run out of material. I mean, you got to remember I'm named after Sai and uh, over the Christmas. As is your son and now grandson. Yes. Yeah, so you know what was cool? I mean, look, and it made my wife cry. We took a picture with me, Sai, and Reed. And, and David. And young David Silas. Yeah. Four, Four generations, generations of Sai. Of That's pretty cool. He got all weepy-eyed about it. Yeah. I like that. So, but Sai gave me a tip, because after their podcast, I was like, ooh, I'd like to talk to whoever put that one together, because it was all just <laughs> off the cuff. And he said, well, here's here's what you got to remember. All of a sudden, he went into, what's the guy, Miyagi? He said, here's what <laughs> you got Mr. Miyagi? He said, you go Mr. through Miyagi. all your stories- at least twice. He said, then you just start making them up. <laughs> <laughs> the best line I heard about Sai is, he said, you know, if you close your eyes and listen to Sai, you'd think he's drunk. <laughs> I don't know what that meant, but I found it very funny. <laughs> See, I, 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 even if you're open, even if your eyes are open, I think you could conclude well, that. Yeah, well, he's so passionate about stuff he makes up. That's That's what's... I think that's his real talent is most people can't be that passionate about things they're just making up. That's why we got, it, it got developed out there in, uh, what do you call it, Phil? La La Land, uh, Internet World, whatever. Computer Land. Computer Land. Because Cy keeps saying that me and him can't get along. And all that is is because I'm one of the few people that will call him out on some of these stories. <laughs> and he's like, what, you don't like me? I'm like... No, I'm just saying that I just don't believe that you can run fast enough to where your tennis shoes will burst into flames because of the friction. 
Hmm. He's like, well, it happened. I mean, I don't. We can't get along. No, we can get along <laughs> fine. See, that's the problem with him. <laughs> him, it is real. Oh, I know. <laughs> and you're like, I just always said, <laughs> but I saw it from young boy. You remember when I was like twelve or thirteen? He was going to school butt naked. Yeah. <laughs> but his mother said, get in there and get them clothes on. Well, she had to tear his butt up. For him to put clothes so on. This is when he was in kindergarten and first grade, I That's guess. That's right. Yeah. Well, so, so but Sai, he, but what we all know about Sai, the audience doesn't hardly know, a little bit maybe for when he's on our podcast, is there's a real like sensitive side to Sai and a serious side mm-hmm. as well. And you don't get to see it that often, but it's it's really. He's a very godly man. He is an extremely is. godly man. Is that man. when y'all knew there was yeah. a problem when he didn't wear clothes the first couple of years of school? Because I've never heard of that. Nobody before. considered a problem; they just considered size. Well, I think if I'm in kindergarten and <laughs> one of my classmates on. comes in nude, I'm thinking somebody <laughs> I, needs. I bet he never actually made it into the schoolhouse that way, but yeah, I'm sure. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's I've heard that story a million times. I have heard him say, Dad and Sai say that. You know, looking at our family and sort of our family history, maybe it wasn't a good idea to run along behind the mosquito fogging truck yeah. uh, <laughs> that ran through the through the piney woods of northwest Louisiana. Found out later <laughs> and, and that it's fatal. I said, well, I don't know about fatal, but it can sure get you on. It was a cool breeze yeah. back in the day. <laughs> but size, so size apparently, because I don't listen to the duck hall room, I try to listen every once in a while, but. I don't listen to enough episodes, I guess, but apparently our people, because we have the same people who are producing our podcast, tell me that Sai's a big fan of my preaching, which I know that because, you know, he's a he's a big talker during my sermons. So he, he defends me and takes up for me, whereas the others just like to make fun of me. No, apparently. I'm a big fan of your preaching, and I'm a big fan of Sai's commentary while you're preaching. <laughs> it's good. Because it's loud. I can hear it, but I can't hear it specifically because it's such a big room. But I can just hear a, a murmur going on back there in his section, and I know he's talking back. So every once in a while, I'll acknowledge it. But Yeah. Well, he told me that. I was like, Sai, why don't you just get up there? Because he, he does something that's socially unacceptable. And that he talks really loud during your sermon. And you can't really understand what he's saying because he's doing it loudly. And he's like, no, I don't like microphones. <laughs> and so I thought he was kidding with that. But the Until few the time times him, yeah. that I've seen him get up, he stood like 12 feet from the microphone. And everybody was like, he doesn't like microphones. So... That's why they have one of these things like Phil has on his head. Right. They had to get him a headset because he never talks into the microphone. So and he's just, always making a lot of racket. He's a, he yeah. beats on things. He's a, he's a noisemaker. He is. But one of the things that was good that people said about the movie, seeing that part of Cy and uh, represented there, was they got to see a side of him they didn't know. So that's good. We need to have him back on again for long because he loves doing Bible study with us. Because they don't do a lot of that on the other podcast, so we'll have to get him back home soon. Zach, you can make that happen. You're the big boss. Um, I guess we'll get back to uh, into Luke. Um, we left off talking in Luke 21 about the widow, and we we kind of led up to it in the last podcast in the overtime segment. We kind of got into a lot more practical. depth. Yeah, practical. Thought? I mean, because yeah. he's introducing what the kingdom is going to look like. Right. On earth. Yeah. You know, when he yeah. prayed, 
Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we, we, we're unashamed of saying that we believe as spirit-filled people, we're representing heaven even though we're earthly, yeah. which is an idea of what the temple was all about. And so uh, what that looked like post-resurrection, him going to the right hand of God, the spirit coming out in Acts 2, I read chapter 3 of Acts and chapter, no, chapter 2 of Acts and chapter 4, where the very issue that's come up with these widows, with the outsiders, with people in need, with the poor, those who have experienced injustice, all the people that Jesus seemed to be taking a lot of time with in in showing what the kingdom would look like, and even in his sermons talking about you know, the be what we call the Beatitudes, and in Luke six, you have this blessed are the poor, and those who cry, and those who hunger, and those who are insulted, all this oppression. What you see actually in the Acts of the Church in chapter two is that all the believers had everything in common. They were fellowshipping, they were breaking bread, they were praying, but they were sharing their possessions and they were giving to anyone who was in need. And that's Acts 2, 42 through 47. And then again in Acts 4, 32 through 35. And then we brought up Acts chapter 5, where here we had a couple who were rich saying they were going to donate their money to people in need, but they lied and kept some of it. And Because they were more interested in how they were perceived and viewed than they were in their heart of giving. And Peter even told them, because they both died over the incident. I mean, it was a terrible awful thing for the early church. They said the, the church was seized with fear and who wouldn't be, right? But the reason why is because Peter was saying, we don't want to go back to what Jesus was talking about before, where it's all about how you look and what you, you want people to say, look at me, I'm I'm the big giver. And so like that was the reason I believe that God treated it so harshly as he did in that setting. And then we also yeah. talked about Acts 6, which was another situation where you had Greek widows and Jewish widows, and they were, and the people weren't being fair because you know they were looking down. So we were talking about the widows being the lowest on the socioeconomic days, and even the lowest point of widows, there's a lower widow than the other widow because the Greek widows were looked at as lower than the Jewish widow. So we made the point from Luke 19 to Luke 21. He's saying this is what you are doing in the temple, and this is what the temple should look like, which is him. Himself doing all this work, in, including everybody, uh, no matter how they're viewed, the outsiders, the oppressed, the, the afflicted. And then now we get to 21.5, and he's talking about what's going to happen to this physical temple to, in Jerusalem. To this structure. Let's take our first break. So, Jason, this uh, text we've been in uh, for a pretty good while, we've been trying to kind of paint that picture in the book of Luke. The whole thing is kind of about being prepared for, you know, destruction and difficulty that's coming. You know, Jesus is trying to paint that picture. And, I, you know, yeah. even though he's talking about something specific in the text, I think that 
that's a great thing, just a rule in life to be prepared, you know, for well, what's Well, you coming. see, I mean, look, it snows in Louisiana, and it is mass chaos, zombie apocalypse. That's you right. can't find groceries. You can't get gas. It's You know, it snows for one day. Right. So, you know, with that being kind of the nature of people, it's a good idea to be prepared for when panic and chaos ensues because it's happening and it's going to happen and uh so no matter what it is you see in the in the biblical record or even just what you see with your own eyes jace is right there are going to be difficulties in this life and so one of our sponsors uh which we love my patriot supply their url website is preparewithfield.com which i love and the idea is we want to be prepared and so that's what they do um they have an essential three-month emergency food kit that you can get from My Patriot Supply. When you go to preparewithfield.com, you're going to save 200 bucks initially, which is great. Uh, they've helped millions of American families prepare for emergencies. And this can be anything. You just lose power. you got hurricanes. you got storms. As Jay said, even a snowstorm shuts us down for days. Uh, they're, these meals, they come sealed inside ultra-durable packaging. They're delicious meals, and they last up to 25 years in storage and provide over 2,000 calories daily. So eat right when things go wrong with a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply, $200 in savings. You can get enough for each family member when you go to preparewithphil.com. Order by 3 p.m. for free same-day shipping. That's preparewithphil.com. Check them out. And I want to mention two things, Jace, before we moved into the next phase, because you set it up perfectly, but a couple of things about this text. One is, I was struck in how that out of all the things Jesus was observing in the temple, we know he came in to, at the beginning of this section and flipped it up because he was like, you come in here, you're, rot, you're a den of robbers, you know, he was upset. But he noticed this situation with the widow and the rich people and their motivations. And that tells you something about about God in general is that he notices our hearts and, and what's behind our motives, whether it's a good thing or whether it's something that appears to be good and is not. And that's some, that's sobering when you think about it, that Jesus would notice this moment. Cause I, I think about it, these folks that were given this money out of their wealth, it wasn't like he was saying it's bad to give. I mean, that's a good thing. What was going to the, to anything for good but he was, it was something about their motivation. They could have dropped these two coins that this widow gave, and it was all she had, and they wouldn't have even noticed they dropped it. It'd be like you dropping a couple of pennies as you're getting out of your truck. Yeah. You probably won't even bend over to pick it up. What can that do? Right. But he had just said that the Pharisees, who love to wear flowing robes and have the best seats in the house, they devour widows' houses. So really the practical illustration of this, and I think the reason we're making such a big deal about this it's because when you look in our culture, we're now in a culture where we're allowing the government to take the lead on education, helping the poor, helping the widows, helping orphans with the foster care system. Well, we yeah. look around. Well, how's that working? It's terrible. It's terrible. And my point is, Jesus was very clear. The church should be taking the lead. And that was happening in the book of Acts. Because you have the heart of Christ. That's exactly right. Even in education, I brought this up. When I was looking at all the historical uh, accounts of the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in AD 70, and it happened. Look up the archaeology of what happened. Giant fire led by 
Rome and Titus, and it was a scrap. And actually, the Jews set the temple on fire during the battle. I mean, the, the Romans were just trying to confiscate it and move in and take over because it was worth a lot of money and it was viewed as powerful. But when, when you see that, the Jews were scattered. A lot of them were killed. I tried to get an exact number, but there were too many numbers. I mean, it was anywhere from 70,000 to 600,000, so given on who you read. But it was a massive, I mean, shift of their whole world. That's why I'm, I'm saying that, because the symbolic language, this is where people get the idea that maybe Jesus was talking about when he appears for the final time and takes us home and everybody's waiting on some temple to be set up, some physical temple in Israel. Right. They get that because of some of the symbolic language, but you got to remember in Jerusalem and for that temple, this was their whole world turned upside down. I mean, they scattered to the four winds and the church, and I'm saying people who followed Jesus came in there doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, helping those who had been hurt and had been injured, who had been ostracized and and they did it in the name of Jesus, believing what we believe as spirit-filled people, we represent heaven and earth together, and we declare Jesus' name, and we look for opportunities to love all people. So I want to make this point. My other thought before we leave this is I've heard a lot of sermons about this, spoken in a context of giving in a church setting. But you made an interesting observation in the podcast, Jay, because we read James one twenty seven, which said pure religion that is faultless and pure is to help widows and to help orphans. And you made them mention that now we're the temple of God. He, Jesus knows this in the temple, but now we're the temple. We're the living stones of each temple. And so Zach, how many people were at Layla's wedding, you think, in that venue? How many? Was it three or 400 people? Probably about 287 people. All right. So there was around 300 people. Probably 287. That sounds more exactly. (laughs) I know how many seats we put That sounds like like a man who paid for that way. Can you give me an approximate number? No, I can't. I I would say it's around. He said no, it was approximately 287. I would say it's around 7,762,374. I want to guess you were paying by the head. You pay, you pay the tab, and you know exactly how many so, people. So here's my here's my observation, Zach, because Jesus observed this in the temple. Here, and I told you guys when I was with Zach in the last podcast, a couple of podcasts ago, that it was a very spiritual, godly environment. It was beautiful, from the people participating, the songs, everything. But here's something else I noticed: is that there were I don't out of that 287 people, I don't know how many were family units, but I noticed. Several family units, including Zach's, when his whole family came down, had a child in that family. Most of them were young, anywhere from, you know, a baby up until four or five years old, that obviously weren't biological from that family for different re- I mean, different nationality, different race, whatever. So these, the, and I'm assuming Zach that probably ninety five percent of the people out of that group there were believers. Maybe a hundred percent. So I noticed that I just started looking in almost every family that were there, and I'm assuming these are friends of people I didn't know. A lot of them, and some I did know. And I just thought to myself when I observed that 
that I am observing this sort of giving that we're talking about that's really what we have. Because if, if you want to make this, you know, widows, the widow's might as a sermon, and then you're going to end the sermon by saying we should all give 10%, you know, of our pre-gross salary, our net. So yeah, I've heard so many sermons about this. Instead yeah. of what happens when you adopt a child and you raise that child and you pour everything you have into that child who then has becomes part of your family because you love her and it's not because she's a part of the government process, then you're going to spend way more money than if you just put your giving into a percentage going into a church place. Exactly. Well, I was going to look. I mean, we, that's isn't that what the temple giving yeah. should look like? We're sharing Is, our lives here, and I'm not doing it in a braggy way or whatever. Needs come up. You know, I have a girl from Nicaragua that we've taken on as our daughter. I mean, she calls us mom and dad at this stage, and you know, we've been. She's been with us for six years. Well, I'm sure if I added up all the money, you know, that was spent, it'd probably be a pretty big, when you just acquire somebody, especially in that age. But then in the last year and a half, you know, I have a boy who was kind of born an orphan because his mom wasn't able to take care of him. But, you know, since that time, he's with his mom, which is great. It's beautiful. And, And we're, you know, trying to help their family get started. But that's a year and a half. And, you know, during that, you're, you say, well, why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing it because I read Matthew 18, you know, where Jesus is saying, let the little children come to me and don't cause anyone to stumble. And we don't want any tells the parable of uh, the lost sheep, but he does it in Matthew 18, speaking in context of little children. And he says, it's his desire for none of them to be lost. And so I think when you see needs like that, the church should rise to the occasion. You do it. Yeah, and you yeah. don't care what it costs. That's it. You don't. You don't. You're not sitting there thinking about what it costs. Uh, you know, with your kids, and you know, we were raised not with a lot of money. And uh, when I first got married, I had no money, and my wife had no money, and we just scraped by. But I remember seeing my daughter being born, and and realizing that she's gonna have to have a lot of surgeries, and but it was so bad and I was as far as her physical condition and I was just so glad she was alive because there was a moment there I thought I'm not sure she can live as you know unless something is immediately done so it really changed my perspective and so the first five years of her life we were in so much debt it was just mind-boggling and look we we didn't care because it because it's like well that's your daughter you don't care if I have to spend the rest of my life in debt, giving her the best care, whatever. It was not even a second thought, you know. It changed my view about money is my point. I just thought, well, this is my daughter. Yeah. And whatever it costs, it costs, and I'll be paying this off to the grave. Of course, I had no idea that the duck show was going to take off. And Which, know. to my point, is once you're willing to give and you don't have anything like this woman did, then if God is noticing then he's going to be able to say, okay, I can trust you with a little, I can trust you with a lot, because you're not going to lose your heart over it. Let's take another break. So, Jace, one of the things that happened when we kind of got more well-known, and y'all before me with the show, but uh, is you kind of get to, you know, support causes and support people 
because people know who you are and, you know, just because your opinion matters to people. So you've been able to lend your name, I think, and your support to a lot of different people. What's one of the ones that jumps out to us that well, you enjoyed? you know, I'm a hunter, so I support the Second Amendment. You know, I, I love kids, so I've, you know, I try to go do things that support the sanctity of life while also trying to keep the door open to people who do not believe right. in such things where, cause I know Jesus can change anybody's heart, but those things are always close to us. And, and it, it tends to be common nature with the people you run with, which is nice. And right. And so I, I love that. We want to always be supportive, but at the same time, we want to try to help people see the right way. One of our sponsors, Patriot mobile uh, has that mindset that they want to be supportive of things that matter not only to them, but also to us. Uh, Jason mentioned sanctity of life, as well as Second Amendment, military veterans, first responders, religious freedom, uh, free speech. All those things are important to Patriot Mobile. And so what they are you know, attempting to get us to do through their company uh, is basically don't send your money to companies and corporations that really don't agree with those things. They're saying, hey, we believe in that, so do you. We'll be able to have you uh, cell phone coverage and come with us. So they have a 100% U.S.-based customer service team that makes switching to them very easy. Um, they give you the same ability to access all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage that you're used to having. Uh, but instead, you know, you're going with people that agree with your take on life. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Phil, or you can call them at 972-PATRIOT. You get free activation when you use the offer code Phil. Join us in making the switch today, patriotmobile.com slash Phil. That's patriotmobile.com slash Phil, or you can call them at 972-PATRIOT. So that my, that's my point, is that makes a more powerful sermon to me out of that text than trying to motivate people to give to a structure uh, of whatever is built to say, you know what, if you just live it every single day and you're willing to invest that into people, because you think about it, Jace, you mentioned your situation, because you and Missy made a decision and Lisa happened to be there at the beginning of it, we felt a part of this young man's life too. He's like our nephew. And yeah. so to this very day, when they got their own house and it was so exciting and all that, well, guess who was over there? bringing stuff from our house and stuff she had bought and make sure this little house had what it needed. Well, it was an aunt. It was, and it's not a physical blood aunt, but it's an aunt because of a forever family decision. So yeah. y'all's decision which, which, brought us in, you know? Yeah. And I, I love the, 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 this kind of line of practical application of the text. Cause you think, man, cause, cause the, I have asked this question a lot about the, this particular text. Why does it matter? how we interpret this. What does it matter if he's talking about 80, 70 or the end times and all that? It, it, why does it matter? I think what we're saying here is this is why it matters is because what we're proposing that, that Jesus is doing here is he is continuing to paint this picture that we're going to be the temple. And, and it's, it's, it's an, it's an embodied spirituality. It's not lofty that's out there that's not accessible. It's not uh, something that can be contained in a building. It's not something that can be contained in, in some physical structure that we build. It's much bigger than that. And 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 by, by showing this, so why, why, why does it matter about 8070? 
Here's why it matters, because if that temple is coming down that they have put their hope in, in AD 70, which it did, if that's what Jesus is talking about here, and we think that he is talking about that, then and, and we go back and we look at the entire Old Testament about when, when God built uh, instructed the temple to be built, his purpose, he said, was so that I can dwell with my people. That's that's First Kings 6. Exodus 25, why did he say build a tabernacle? So that I may dwell with my people. So if the purpose of the tabernacle, the purpose of the temple was that God could dwell with his people, and then that temple is coming down according to Jesus, then we have an issue. How is God going to dwell with his people? And the answer is he's going to dwell with his people by living in them, that the, we will be the, the, the living stones of the temple, and God will live in us. And so that the way that, that looks in our, our daily life is, you see it like that. You see Jace taking in so, someone into their family that, that he has no responsibility to take care of, but he does. He's extending the love of Christ. It's overflowing out of him. It's Al getting involved. It's the family. It's, it's all. It's, it's what the kingdom looks like in your home, in yeah. your daily walk, on the highways, on the byways. It's, it, it's the kingdom going out. It's moving out, and it's, and it's moving across the world. In the in the hearts of believers, in the bodies of believers, and that is a big, big deal. Yeah, and I think to me that's why would Luke pick this out, and why would Jesus say this in ahead of what he what we're about to start looking at today? If it didn't matter, to your point, Zach, it does matter. Our hearts into this matter. And so, which basically leads us into this next text. I want to before I before we start reading it. Um, N.T. Wright, who we mentioned on here, uh, is a, is a great scholar. Um, I've been reading his commentary along when we've been doing this study and he, I liked his outline. And so that's what I put down in my notes. We all keep separate notes, but he had this broken down this way in chat, the rest of chapter 21, five through 19 is what he calls signs of the end of this era, which is kind of what's in the margin of your Bible. He, he used basically the same thing. It, this is an era, and there were signs that they would know it was coming. So that's 5 through 19. Then he's going to give a prediction of Jerusalem's demise in verses 20 through 33. And he's going to specifically get into some things about this, which let us know exactly what he was pointing to. But then he, at the end of it, in 21, 34 through 38, and this is probably the most difficult for people because it seems broader, but N.T. Wright calls it watching for the Son of Man, and which I like the way he put that because you can apply what he's talking about. What I believe is in this context is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, but that would apply to any time you're looking for Jesus. We do know he's going to come back at the end of time. And so a lot of people have made a lot of this text about that, but I think you can apply the concept of watching and looking for the son of man to come. And at any point, because there are other times of judgment that have happened even the last 2000 years where it's obvious that God was at work. So that's kind of how he breaks it down. And uh, just to give you an outline, I mean, that was mine uh, for this text. But I want to read this first section at least, and then us begin to get a little bit into this last text he's going to talk about, because this is the last thing Jesus is going to talk about before the actual, what we would call the passion of Jesus or his crucifixion, his his burial, uh, and then his resurrection is going to pick up in chapter 22. So this is kind of this last teaching element, and it's a doozy. And remember, he's doing it from the temple. So let me read 5 through 19, which is kind of these early signs, and then we'll start breaking it down. Let's take a break before I do that. 
Luke 21, verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. So we just talk about these people that are giving, and so a lot of that's going into this edifice, this beautiful building. Yeah, which is probably why the widows' houses are being devoured. That's right. Yeah. To go into this. And Not think, that I said that. He said that he said in five verses. Yeah. And think about how how crazy that is. And look, I mean, you know, without making too much application, we could say the same thing about today. Why People feel very justified in pouring millions and millions of dollars into a church building because they think, well, God deserves the best we got. And that was the mindset here. But if that's not really accomplishing kingdom work, I mean, is that the best use of that money? I've shared this many times on this podcast, but, you know, when I went to the Ukraine in the early 90s, the number one thing that stood out to me was the way the church buildings looked. I'm I'm talking about swanky is, is not the right kind of word. Oh, yeah. Compared to the condition of the people. Yeah. I mean, it was a third world country. Nothing in the stores. It, you know, I was 30 years ago, so. Well, that's even worse, yeah. But I, I just could not believe. We, we went into the several of them, because they were just amazing to look at what, what man can build. Yeah. And the people, and there's no people in there worshiping. So it's just a hollow building with all this money spent, gold and chandeliers and and then outside, you go to the grocery store, and there you have four options, and all of them are bad. Because we that was the first time, and only time really, that I was yeah. known true hunger. Because we gave out all our food. It, it was a it was a landing crisis. But every time I read something like this, I think about that and think, this is what happens when you don't have the kingdom of God functioning. You 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 got the wrong. You you want to look holy put all this money into a place where you meet God and then outside all the people are suffering. Yeah. And the government was in shambles at, at the time. And remember, Jesus is God. So he knows that all this is being done to honor him as God, even though the people aren't all recognizing him as God. But he doesn't even throw them a bone. Here's what he says when they're noticing this. Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. So, so people who think this is talking about the final appearing, well, they use this as symbolic language. Right. They're, but it seems like if the last three chapters, he's been in the temple. Yep. He's claimed multiple times that he is the temple, and he's bringing a kingdom that will destroy all other kingdoms. I just don't, you know, it's hard for me to get anything yeah. Now, I know there's a lot of different beliefs when it comes to this, but at least you ought to see where we're coming from. This seems to be like he's talking about, and one day this temple is going to be destroyed. And when you know it, that 30 years after this, a little more than 30 years, it was. It, this is exactly and look, I looked it up. Jerusalem has been, it has been attacked 52 times, I guess maybe 53 if you want to count this last one, but but the temple's only been destroyed twice. The first one in 583 mm-hmm. B.C. Babylon, 586. Babylon, 586, and then in A.D. 70. And there is no temple there today. But just think of all the times it's been attacked. And keep this in mind, too, that 
uh, this is a key point that R.C. Sproul's um, in his uh, he's preached quite a bit on on all of this and and, uh, and even Mark's account of this as well. But in in Luke as well and Matthew Matthew says this as well. But in verse thirty two, uh, whenever uh, Jesus says, "Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all has taken place." Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And the question is that R.C. Sproul's brought up, and I've read other uh, commentators and theologians have also agreed with this. A lot of a lot of folks have that a generation in first century Israel was considered about, depending on who you read, thirty to forty years. So I mean, so what he's I mean, he's saying that in thirty to forty years, what I'm telling you, it's going to happen, and when you know it that just 30 to 40 years after Jesus said this, he said this in somewhere in 80, 33-ish area, uh, and in 80, 70, the temple came down. So, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, that's that's one of the reasons why, I, another another reason why I believe that he's talking about 80, 70, because that generation, if he's talking about the end times, it, then then that generation, then, then, the, then the second coming of Christ would have happened in that time period. Right and it, and clearly it didn't because we're standing here. Although I did talk with some folks the other day that actually believe that the second coming has already happened, which was a very interesting conversation we can talk about later. But but I mean I don't think that we can anyone. Yeah, those make- are called yeah post millennials. So I, I do want to mention this before I read this next verse. This is something I didn't realize until this particular study. I, I, I saw this historically, starting in about 10 BC to 60 AD, which would have been would have been the life of Jesus, and then some, and a little bit before he got here, there had been a pretty good temple upgrade, a big remodel that had been going on. Of course, you know, again, a 70-year remodel is pretty impressive. Dad, that's the length of your life. They yeah. were remodeling the temple. And this was about the halfway point. This was 33. So it's interesting. They're they're noticing because it, it's like when you go to somebody's house and they're doing a you know upgrade or they're doing some remodeling. You notice, you know, oh, man, I like what you've done with the place. You know, it looks really good. So that's what one of the things they're probably noticing is they're 30-something years, almost 40 years into this remodel when they make these things. And so then Jesus, to me, he could have said, yeah, this is really cool. But instead, he just like throws the wet blanket on and says, yeah, you see this place? It's nothing's going to be left. Well, which is which makes sense to John too, when Jesus says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Yeah. And they immediately went into their construction project and they're like, no, no, it took us 46 years to build this to temple. This point, you're gonna, that's right. Yeah. You're going to raise it in three days. I mean, so, I mean, the temple was destroyed in, in five uh, 86, but it was rebuilt, um, and it was rebuilt by uh, um, um, Cyrus, right? Yep, correct, yep, correct. And 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 that that's and so all of this, by the way, I think is important because it's all prophesied as well in from the Old Testament prophets. It's all through the Book of Isaiah, Isaiah twenty seven, I believe. Um, I'm quoting off the top of my head, but it, it talks about the uh, the altar stones being crushed like chalk. The Asherah poles that they had brought in are going to be destroyed because that's what had happened in this temple. He said, why would this, why would God destroy his temple? Well, because they continued to turn it into a place of idolatry over and over and over again. And you had good kings of Israel, a few that would come in and cleanse the temple, kind of this prototype of Jesus coming and cleansing the temple. Um, was it, uh, who was it? Um, 
Hezekiah came in and cleansed the temple that his father had desecrated, Mm -hmm. and he had restored Israel. So you had these moments, but the general gist and trajectory of Israel throughout the entire Old Testament was to was to make a mockery of God's dwelling place, to to, to turn it into a, a a place a den of robbers or a place of idolatry, a place of they were sacrificing children. I mean, there's all kind of stuff going on in, in in God's temple, and so that's why that what you're seeing here is kind of this really this this summation of Jesus's argument that like that's all coming down, and there's a new order being established that that's not going to happen in 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 the new order. Uh, which will be the one where Jesus becomes the cornerstone of the temple and we, the living stones, built upon him. Yeah, and it, it's not like we're making this up. When, when you're know, one of these days when we study Revelation, you know, you'll see what we think is consistent with this. And a lot of the symbolic language was used directed at the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. But even if you just fast forward without all the details and you get there and you read something like Revelation 21 and 22, right after he had began the chapter saying, I will make everything new, it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Yeah. And so it's not like we're just, you know, pluck this idea out of the air, right. when you look at all the temple verses, you see what they were doing in the temple in Jerusalem, he did not like. Right. And everything, when it came to people being filled with the Holy Spirit and moving together as one and helping this world, just like he did, and pointing people to him, all that's good. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about the, all the times he mentioned, uh, you know, what counts as a new creation, the old is gone, even in our, our new birth process. I mean, he came here to bring new creation, to make things yeah, right. Yeah, that's it. And uh, so, so that's kind of what we're getting at. In that Revelation 21 passage, too, that Jason just mentioned, at the beginning of Revelation 21, again, he, he connects the temple to God's dwelling place, because what he, which is what he did in, in in the Garden of Eden, the original temple, and what he did in Exodus uh, 25, which I already mentioned, which was the tabernacle built, built so that he may dwell with his people. First Kings 6, so that I may dwell with my people. And then moving to the end of the entire Bible, Revelation 21, which Grace just mentioned, where it says that, that God himself is the temple. At the beginning, it says that, uh, as a, and I heard a loud voice from heaven or from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So it, it's accomplished. He will dwell with them and they will be his, his temple. I mean, his, I'm sorry, his people, Freudian slip there. And God himself will be with them as their God. So you see like, what's the, like, what is the uh, motivation for God in all of this? And I love this because this is beautiful that God wants to dwell with his people. How does God do that? He does it through Jesus. He does it through Jesus being the temple, Jesus being the king, Jesus being the prophet, Jesus being the high priest, Jesus being the summation and the, and the fulfillment of the law, Jesus being the center of all of it. And I, I love that because it's it's God providing a way to, well, one, I love the fact that his motivation is he wants to be with me. I mean, that's that's comforting. The, the, the God wants to dwell with me is so comforting that he would think of of finite 
Zach, who occupies a very small place on planet Earth in a very short span of time. And God had me in mind whenever he was establishing this full picture of how he was going to dwell with us. That Man, that just... That's powerful. The irony, Zach, about when the church first started was that the in Acts chapter two, when you see those first believers, um, you know, change their hearts and come to Christ, uh, they started out in the courts, the outer courts of the temple. It, it's where they felt most comfortable. But but now they knew something different. The Holy Spirit was living in them. And so until well, you get, they were coming together. Yeah, they were coming together. Remember, they met daily, and they were coming out there, and they were meeting out there, and they were singing. And I'm sure it looked very strange to people going in yeah. to offer sacrifices. But then you get to Acts 4, and you start to see them meet in homes, and you start to see it leaving that temple. And now it's much more organic, and that's what you're going to see in the rest of the book of Acts, which is kind well, of— Well, just to Zach's point, since we've kind of opened up this can of worms, to those who are not maybe—they're reading their Bible as much, at this, or to young Christians. So we, we just spent three chapters talking about this actual temple, physical temple in Jerusalem, and he's fixing to give a prediction— that especially in verse 20 of chapter 21, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. It's pretty specific. Well, yeah. and the reason we're going to Revelation 21, and, and Zach read verse 5, I read verse 20, but if you just read the first four or five verses, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And you don't have to really know all about the symbolic language to know who the bride of Christ is. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought we were all going to heaven. You know, this is what made N.T. Wright's final analysis a bit controversial. Because he's like, we're kind of waiting to go to heaven. And you read Revelation 21, and it seems like the church is coming out of heaven, yeah. the new yeah. Jerusalem. And so it's not that that N.T. Wright doesn't believe in Jesus coming back and everything uh, not being changed for eternity. We get our bodies resurrected. and Correct. But when you read things like 1 Thessalonians 4, and you see that those who are dead in Christ coming out of heaven with Jesus to meet the people alive and we're changed, being made imperishable, immortal, you know, 1 Corinthians 15. You see this picture here, but it, it calls it the new Jerusalem because he's describing here in Luke 21 what's fixed to happen to the old Jerusalem. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and it happened. And so then he goes on to say what what. Zach mentioned, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning, death, crying, pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So it's official in that moment that there was going to be a transition from this temple worship in a structure to what I read in Luke, I mean, in Revelation 21, where it says, 
because he goes on to bring up the new Jerusalem again in verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit. This is 2110 of Revelation. And showed me the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And then it gets into this streets of gold and walls and all this. So most people are viewing that as heaven. But it seems like he's depicting that as the church coming down out of heaven. And then he gets to 22 and says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun, moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Well, Jesus did that on a cross. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, it, it's, it's a picture, what I think, of the fulfillment of what he's predicting there's this old order is going to pass away. Yep. And you say, well, why did it pass away? Well, then you have to know the history of the Jewish nation and how they turned their backs against God, which brought Jesus to earth. And this is how he fulfilled it. It, it wasn't like God was saying, oh, I'm going to get you. No, he provided a way based on love to rescue all humanity. Through Israel's fall. Which is so interesting because when when you get into this study, you, it's all, I hear you say that, and the, the temptation for me, if I did, if I, if I hadn't been studying Isaiah recently, it's like, well, you're, you're, I mean, I could see how someone might say, oh, you're reading into the text, you know, your, your worldview because you're a Gentile, you are grafted in, that's New Testament theology that you're reading into it. But but really, it's it's not. I mean, what you just read about the nations. I mean, this is written in the Old Testament. Correct. In the in the book of Isaiah, I've already mentioned this earlier. I want to read it before we before we go to overtime. Um, the word of Isaiah. This is a chapter two of Isaiah. The word of Isaiah, the son of um, Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that's Zion, that's the temple, shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Uh, from out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall dispute between peoples. And it's this idea, though. Even in Old Testament literature, Old Testament prophetic literature, you see this picture of what you just read in Isaiah of the all the nations coming to worship the God of Jacob. We're we're part of that. We're part of we're one, we're part of that nation. And I'm thinking, man, we we're not reading this into the text. I mean, this would this is consistent from from Genesis one to Revelation twenty two. This is the consistent, in my opinion, and I think I'm correct here. The consistent theme of the entire Bible of what Christ accomplished and what his ultimate mission and goal is going to be. And, it, and it's finished. He did it. And he's going to come back and bring 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 it to, to full fruition with the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. No, I think you're right. And there's a lot more to unpack with that. So we'll uh, attempt to do some more of that in our overtime segment. If you want to follow us over, blazetv.com slash 
unashamed. We'll see you next time on Unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.